Today we turn uh, in a new series, uh, and uh, we're going to begin this series in Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. If you have your uh, Bibles with you, you could turn there, just turn to the end, and you'll find it. Chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 4 through 6. Some of you said, oh, snap, he's reading Revelation. What's about to happen? Because I know that uh, some of us have this, this uh, notion that if we turn there, we're going to be super confused. And we're going to wonder what the heck is going on. This is the, the introduction, the beginning of this beautiful, this beautiful restoration of all things. And it's in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Let's together hear the word of the Lord. John, this is from John the Apostle, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow with me forward of prayer? Lord, we do come before you, thankful for the gift and power of your word. What magnificent wisdom is contained therein for us. We seek it out. We long for you. And we pray, almighty God, in this space and time that, that we would know you all the more. Lord, open our eyes that we would see our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word and indeed your will for us. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. And by your grace, I ask all, Almighty God that you would open our hands, that we would offer your grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I need your help this morning. Uh, and no, it's not just because I haven't preached in a while that I do need your help with that as well. Uh, I need your help. What are some basic human needs? Food? So uh, I, first of all, the fact that all of you said food first at 1030 on a Sunday morning tells me that you're thinking about El Chaparro. That's fine. God bless you. Food? What else? Shelter? Uh, I was outside yesterday, and I got some serious sunburn, so I believe we do need shelter. What else? Water? Can't live without that. And I know that all of you coffee drinkers and you Dr. Pepper drinkers might think that you could, but you can't. We need water. What else? Love. Love. Sleep. Okay. So, uh, again, people think they don't need sleep, but they need some sleep. Uh, Aiden, you need some sleep. My son's in the booth. He's not sleeping enough lately. So, um, And love. We need love. Love is, is, is a basic human need. 
It's woven into the fabric of our very being. And an evidence of that is, is how much we crave it, how much we long for it, how much we seek it out. And so often uh, we, we find it coming up short because of our humankind's brokenness and frailty. How often has love, human love, fallen short for you? Times when you thought there was a love that you could depend on, you could rely on from a friend, from a family member, and it came up wanting. And yet it doesn't, it doesn't mean that that hole, that need, that basic need within us is no longer. Uh, we continue to need that, but sometimes the abuses that we have experienced so deeply harm and wound us that, that we uh, retreat from seeking it out. We pull back, and then we end up having this void, this emptiness in our lives because we continue to have that same basic need, this need for love. We each need love. And, it, and it's through our love for one another that we begin to reflect a greater love that we know we have in Jesus. There are a couple of songs that, that I love that uh, are taught to kids, that were taught to me as a kid in Christian community and fellowship, and, and they proclaim some, some deep felt truths, truths of the world and truths of who we are. The first, you can help me out with this, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. So, so whenever we hear that the first time and we're singing it as kids, we, we, we hear Jesus loves the little children. We're like, oh, that's me. And then when you hear that as an adult, you wonder, like, is it me? And, and then you, you are reminded that it's all the children of the world. We are children of God. And it's not a limited, constrained number, but it is unleashed for every single one of us. That it does not know bounds. It doesn't know bounds of, of race, of uh, geography. It doesn't know bounds of any shape, sort, or size. It doesn't even know bounds of whether or not we are right with God, whether or not we are righteous. Uh, instead, God, through Jesus, loves all basics of who we are woven into the fabric of a simple song jesus loves the little children all the children of the world uh another another song you can help me out with jesus loves me this i know Zach's the only one singing. Uh, that I don't know why he didn't join with the whole rest of the body. Yes, Jesus loves me this. I know for the Bible tells me so. For the Bible tells me so. And, and that is going to be the heart of where, where we journey together over the course of Lent. Jesus loves me, this I know. And it's critically important that the Bible tells us that. And that's what we're going to be rooted in today. But I also want you to, to know that there are so many different evidences of Jesus' love for us in our lives, in the world, and across Scripture. And we're going to be diving into all of those ways that Jesus Jesus 
loves us, how we have assurance, how we have knowledge, how we have the hope that Jesus loves us, this I know. It is our prayer, my prayer, that when we arrive at Easter Sunday, we will have been so uh, uh, immersed in Jesus' love for us that we will be able to say, Jesus loves me, this I know. That you would know it deep in your bones, in your heart of hearts, in your soul, that you would absolutely unequivocally know that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's hope in that song. It, it, may it be our prayer this season. But we're going to begin uh, with the Bible tells me so. For the Bible tells me that Jesus loves me. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to, you to turn to, to, to the, the front uh, edge uh, and, and read for me what it says there. It says a word before it says the word Bible. What does it say? Holy. It says Holy Bible. Some folks don't even have their Bibles with them today in worship, and they know it says Holy Bible. Well, what does the word holy mean? Some of us assume that Webster has it exactly right in the Christian context of what holy means. That holy means sacred. That holy, that holy means um, uh, consecrated. And all of those things are, are woven into the word. But in this Kadesh sense of the word in Greek, holy, the Holy Bible means that the Bible has been set apart, that it is different than any other book that you could ever read, that, that, that you, could, you could have a, a library in your home, or you could go to a library, and you could look at all of the books that have been written, and you could conceive of all of those that aren't there and all of those that will be there over the course of history, and you could know that there is one book, one book that's set apart from all other books. It is God's word. In it is contained everything necessary for salvation. This is what we believe as Methodists. It's article five of our doctrine of faith. That we believe that in scripture is contained everything necessary for salvation. And so we, we seek it and, under, and seek to understand it because it teaches us and informs us of who we are and the hope we have. If you want to know more about the, the nature of Scripture and why we understand it as set apart in that way, this Wednesday night, uh, all by God's grand design through the power of the Holy Spirit in our Foundations Bible study this Wednesday night, we're studying the doctrine of the Scriptures and our understanding of the Scriptures as holy. So I invite you to come and hear more about that. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, uh, is known as a voracious reader, loved to study, loved to learn, not only things in his field and in his craft, but also things uh, of the world to come to understand. He was a study of, uh, uh, he was an academic of the sciences as well, which I find fascinating that he drew so deeply into the sciences as a Christian. But he's also known for, uh, for borrowing a phrase from Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, which is that I am a man of one book. I'm a man of one 
book. I find that fascinating because Wesley was definitely not, it seems at first blush, a man of one book. He had so uh, such an appetite for reading, such a firm desire to learn and to grow and to know, and yet he said, I am a man of one book. What did he mean by that? He meant that there was one book above all others through which his understanding of who he was and who God was, was essential. I have so many of you recommend books to me over the course of time, books on leadership, books on business, books on uh, b- books that, that, that uh, you found informative in your walk of faith. I love to hear your recommendation of these books. It means that we are a reading body And yet, may we be like Wesley, like Aquinas, women and men of one book, to understand that this book is set apart from all others. It is holy for us, the people of God, for the world. You know, over the course of of life, you, you might have heard the phrase, no regrets, I mean, any of y'all heard that phrase? And has anyone ever told you, I have no regrets? I'm not, I'm not sure if I believe them. Uh, because uh, we each understand our own failings better than anyone else save the Lord himself, right? We each understand our own failings and our own shortcomings. And, and whenever I look at uh, what it's meant over the last 11 plus years to be a part of planting this holy community together with you, uh, I mean, I think back to the days I was uh, talking with someone earlier and they were talking about some activities they were, uh, were a part of over at the Rob Fleming Center. And I was like, we used to worship there. Like, do you remember when we were in the old Stinky Y before there was a gym in there? And then they added the gym in there, and it gave a specific odor to our worship experience that was not necessarily pleasing to the Lord. Uh, And then we moved from there to the elementary school, and we were able to have children uh, experience grand confusion on whether that building was their school or their church. And they didn't know if they were coming to eat lunch or if they were coming to worship God. So I mean, these, these parts of my recollection just uh, give me such grand excitement thinking through what God has led us through and to today. And yet, I could look back on our journey together as covenant and my leadership as the founding pastor here and say, I have some regrets. There are things that I wish I would have done better. Some things I wish I would have done less. Some things I wish I would have done more. Some ways in which I could have been attentive to the Spirit's leading in ways that I failed to do. Worship is an interesting thing. Uh, And if if you've been with Covenant for a while, you know our worship culture has had a little bit of an ebb and flow. And there's been uh, changes and adaptations over the course of our time together in how we worship. I used to be very proud early on in our worship days that we had simple worship I was like, no one knows what that means, so I'm going to, you know, make them ask. You know, we had simple worship, and, and it was stripped down, and it was contemporary, and it was, it was basic. But in the basic nature of our worship, there were things that were missing, that really root us, that drilled deep foundational elements into who we are as Christians. Four examples. 
the first is, uh, we didn't used to say the Apostles' Creed in worship. I regret that. We should have always, always, always said the Apostles' Creed. Why? Because the Apostles' Creed reminds us, it teaches us, it informs us of who we are, what we believe, why doctrine matters. It tells us that Jesus died and rose. And so you can't, in any sort of authenticity, say that you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ if you continually, week over week, have this poured into you that we believe that Jesus rose literally from the dead. And we're dependent on that. If he did not, then how do we rise? And it's so critical for us to say the Apostles' Creed together. It also says that, that, that Jesus judges the living and the dead. Who? come on now. Every time we say that together, I get a little tingle up the back of my neck because I'm reminded that I will be judged. That I am being judged, the living and the dead. And that Jesus is the only judge, the righteous judge. And how critical is it for us to know? Because we cannot be universalist if we understand that there is judgment. It's doctrinally essential for us to say the Apostles' Creed together and have that immersive experience over and over again. That's regret number one. I'm not going through all my regrets of covenant, just four related to worship, okay? Uh, you know? <laughs> Remember, four. I'm working my way through them, all right? Uh, uh, we didn't used to say the Lord's Prayer on Sundays. I regret that I was ever the fool that led a church that didn't say the Lord's Prayer on Sundays. Give us this day our daily bread to be a people that understand, that pray to God with the knowledge that our provision comes from God. How essential is it for us to have that idolatry of self torn down, that, that, that work of, of, of building ourselves up into providers as though we are the ones that accomplish it on our own outside of God's gifting, God's equipping, uh, God's providence and, and protection. Uh, and, and we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray, uh, our king, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we believe that God's kingdom is here and now. And it's possible for God's reign to be known in our lives and in the community around us. That, that we are walking and having our being in the midst of God's kingdom. Have you thought about that? And we pray it over and over again. It's that Critical. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. On Wednesday at our Ash Wednesday service, we had a call to repentance. We spent time in guided prayer. And the one that really wrecked me, where the Spirit came over me and just uh, acknowledged some places of sin in my life that needed healing, was in what ways have we sinned by withholding forgiveness? Forgive us, God, as we 
forgive those who trespass against us? How critical is it for us to be a forgiving? I regret that we didn't say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday in the early days. And I'm thankful that God just made it so. You know what else we didn't do early on? Uh, You know, when you're a young pastor, you get kind of cute sometimes. And you think that you're being all like revolutionary. Uh, We didn't do the communion liturgy as the communion liturgy in total Uh, particularly the great Thanksgiving early on. I would get up and I would say, you know, what are we thankful for? Invite us into reflection over that. And then ultimately, above all else, we're thankful for the gift we have in Jesus Christ. It was good, but that great Thanksgiving has theology that teaches us who we are. that, That we are a part of the new covenant by water and the spirit. New covenant There was an old covenant and God made promises that he did fulfill and he made them known to the world through the new covenant in Jesus Christ by water and the spirit, by baptism, literal physical baptism, and by baptism of the Holy Spirit. That that new covenant is experienced as we experience the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives. Our participation in the new covenant is through baptism of water and of spirit. How extraordinary is that? I regret that we didn't do that full liturgy. One more thing, and this is the most recent thing. It's changed and we didn't even acknowledge the change. I mean, it hasn't even become a part of our slide deck yet, right? But I wonder if any of you have noticed it. After we read the scripture uh, from the altar, uh, there's this corporate response that is so powerful. And now we participate in it week over week, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We didn't used to say that together. What is it for us every time we gather to acknowledge that this book, this holy book, this set apart book is indeed the very word of God? We approach it differently. We seek it differently. We depend on it differently when we understand that it's God's word for God's people, for the world, and it is holy and set apart. And so we come today to say, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
And the Bible tells us of God's love for creation, of God's love for humanity, and of Jesus' love for humanity over and over again in many different ways. We specifically chose Revelation because when we, when we approach Revelation, we understand that there's a fulfillment, that we've moved from creation to new creation. And in the journey that there's been fall and there's been promise and there has been uh, the brokenness of humanity exemplified over and over and over again, and God comes to make final resolution that our just God made a just resolution to the problem of sin as we, in our sin, deserve death. And yet God takes on our death in himself through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the move of scripture. And when we arrive at Revelation, we know that we are arriving at this grand conclusion, this space of new creation. And so when we hear Jesus loves us, in the word of creation and in the word of new creation, it should give us such great hope. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to break down these, these few verses uh, with you, uh, and, and we're going to just understand the, the, these three moves. There are three moves in these three verses uh, that, that are being made. But first, we have to understand that uh, in verse 1, which we didn't read, that this is the revelation from Jesus Christ to John, and that John records it. John records it as the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's in verse 2. So this is the revelation from Jesus that John records it as the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's in verse 2. And then when we get to verse 4, the beginning of our uh, verses today, it says, John, he's addressing, uh, uh, addressing a letter. Did you know that revelation is a letter? Revelation is a letter. And it's written to, uh, to communities. It says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And so uh, if you go forward in the text into chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see the seven different churches named, and they're, they're addressed specifically individually as well. But one of the things I want to highlight for you is there's a lot of symbology and numerology in the book of Revelation. Uh, one of the critical numbers that we need to uh, come around together is the number seven. Anytime we hear the number seven in scripture, specifically in the book of Revelation, we are to think of a word, complete, complete. Seven is a complete number. It is a number of fulfillment. And so whenever we hear to the seven churches in the province of Asia, we're not only hearing that God is addressing seven specific churches, but he is uh, he's, uh, speaking to the complete church. The church of Jesus Christ, which means that this letter is written to you and it's written to me. It could very well not only be written to, uh, to Smyrna and to Thyatira and to Pergamum and to Laodicea, but it's also written to Covenant. This is a letter to the seven churches individually and complete the church of Jesus Christ. So that's a, uh, a direction uh, for the letter. It's the address in verse 4. And then in the second half of verse 4 through the first half of verse 5, we get a, uh, a greeting. And, and this greeting is uh, Trinitarian theology. Now, we might have missed the Trinitarian language, so I'm going to walk us through piece by piece so we can see how Father, Son, Spirit, actually in this one, Father, Spirit, Son, uh, is laid out for us. But it says, grace and peace to you, that's that word of greeting, from him who is, who was, and who is to come. 
That this is uh, God the Father, uh, the God the Creator, God that is continuing to create, and God that is new creation in its fulfillment. This is an articulation of the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And then it says, and from the seven spirits before his throne. The seven spirits. Now, what, did, what was the word that we wanted to associate with the word seven? Complete. When we hear the number seven in the book of Revelation and across Scripture, we're to understand that this is, the, that this is connected to complete. So when we hear that, that this is from the complete spirit, the Holy Spirit of God before the throne. So we have both from God the Father, who was and is and is to come, God the Spirit before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, from the Son, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Now, some of you might be thinking over the course of Scripture, we've seen other people raised from the dead. That's correct. They were resuscitated. They were brought back to life, and they continued to live, but they died again. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, resurrected, never to die again, eternally resurrected. And that's what we have as Christians. We have eternal resurrection, not just resuscitation, but resurrection. So he is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That there are other powers in the world. That, that across humanity, there are, uh, there are dominions and rulers, and Jesus is the ruler over all of them. So we have first uh, an introduction to the letter to the seven churches, to the church. We have a Trinitarian greeting, grace and peace from God the Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Father, Spirit, Son. And then we have this beautiful uh, statement of praise to Jesus. It's in four, uh, excuse me, 5B and verse 6. By the way, if I ever say B or A, it's like the first half of the verse or the second half of the verse. So the first half of verse 5 is tied into the Trinitarian greeting, and the second half of verse 5 is tied into this statement of praise to Jesus. So what is this statement of praise to Jesus? To him, to Jesus who, now we're going to understand some about the personhood of Jesus, who Jesus is for us. And he, he is three things for us identified by himself through John in Revelation. He loves us. He freed us from our sins by his blood. And he's made us with a purpose in his kingdom to serve God. To Jesus, who loves you, who has, has liberated you, freed you from your sin by his blood. And to him who gives you a purpose as a part of the priesthood of all believers. This is who Jesus is. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood. 
the brokenness of the human condition, the fallen nature is uh, one that requires just resolution. That in our own strength, we are unable, incapable of achieving righteousness and through Jesus' payment of our penalty, payment of death, through his blood, we now are made righteous with Christ. He has freed us from that penalty. He has made us with a purpose. So often in life we go through wondering, why am I here? What am I doing? What purpose do I have? Above all other purposes, we are to know that we have purpose for God through Jesus. He gives us purpose. Some of you say, I don't know how that works for me. I'm an engineer. I don't know how that works for me. I'm a, I'm a chemist. I don't know how that works for me. I'm a teacher. In all of those things and in everything outside of that, God has given you in Jesus a purpose to serve him. By loving God and loving neighbor, we serve. And then I want you to not miss this The first identification of the identity of Jesus is that Jesus loves you. The Bible says it. And in this instance, this scripture in Revelation, it says that this is a word from Jesus through John for the church. So you are to hear this directly from Jesus Jesus is saying to you, I love you. I know that you have this need for love because I created you. And I know that you're going to seek it out in the world. And I pray, Jesus prays, that you will find it in whole, rich relationships. And yet, no matter if you found it or if you ever find it in human form, know this Today, Jesus loves you. He is telling you directly today, I love you. You are mine and I am yours. I love you. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to to be your people, to join together as your servants, to offer our whole whole selves to you. Lord, we ask that you would uh, remind us uh, daily Remind us moment by moment, infuse us with the knowledge that you love us, that we are loved deeply and dearly. And Lord, uh, through that love, give us confidence and assurance, hope to walk through lives of following and serving you, knowing that we're freed from our sins. God, we come before you thankful for your love because we were desperate for your love. 
and you have fulfilled it beyond any measure that we could have ever imagined. Lord, thank you for loving us first. Now help us to love the world in response. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.